everyone. I'm so excited today to talk to somebody I just really adore uh, for the Faith and Justice Network podcast. Uh, This is a podcast where we talk to people and we discuss issues of faith um, in the context of wanting to see justice in the world. And specifically, I get to talk to people about their faith practices, their spiritual practices, because it's actually something we don't get to talk about a lot. Um, And I kind of think we need to have more discussions about these, especially the weird ones. And I don't want to assume anything, but uh, my guest today is Jessica Kanterwitz. And, you know, she might have some weird stuff in her uh, in her background, <laughs> in, her, in her bag, in her bag of spiritual practice tricks. So, Jessica, I'm so happy you could join us today. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here, too. And I adore you, too. So. Oh, but this is our this is our first time like chatting face to face. It is. And I'm sorry to be recording you while we do it. But <laughs> you know, we can just forget about that and just have a chat. Um for right. those who don't for those who don't know, Jessica is uh an author and poet and uh I would say you have a ministry of Twitter. Uh maybe, you know, you have other ministries as well. But one of the things I just love about you is you um have a spirit of whimsy that comes from a very hard-earned place is is kind of how I perceive Mm. your work um, and how you are on social media. And right now I have been reading your, what would you call them? It's it's called Benedictions, but it's called 365 Days of Peace. It's like a devotional, but not really, because I know that word can uh, scare people off. Right. Yeah. So how, how do you describe 365 Days of Peace to people? Yeah, well, for people who have, you know, kind of a religious context, I think the word benediction or blessing makes sense Mm -hmm. because I'm just sort of like, it's, you know, like the prayer at the end of a service or something or, you know, the the, um, high priestly prayer that Aaron prays in the Bible. It's just sort of like a blessing for your journey or for your night or, you know, sending you off in peace. Um, But then for a non-religious context, I just say poems. Or peace poems, because they all start with the word peace. Peace poems, yeah. And so that's one element of your work. Um, You also wrote a book called The Long Night, and um, it was really impactful for me, but I honestly couldn't finish it just based off of where I was in my Mm -hmm. own long night. So I look forward to going back and revisiting it. And uh, do you want to tell people uh, a little bit about that book? Sure. Yeah. It's the long night readings and stories to help you through depression. Um, And it's basically it's um, sort of a part memoir about a really bad major depressive episode that I went through, gosh, like 12 or 14 years ago now, um, which was like the worst and the longest that I'd ever experienced, but also the most um, fruitful sort of and that I finally like dug in the reasons or a lot of the reasons why I was having these major depressive episodes and things that I needed to fix in my own life and the ways that I needed to heal. Um, So the book is kind of like stories from that time, but also I drew on a lot of um, writers and um, other people who had really helped me through that time. So tried to share a lot of their wisdom with people. And then at the at the insistence of my editor added in like practical things too like here, here are things that I've tried you know I definitely didn't want to write a like 10 steps to heal yourself from depression kind of book but to give people like some ideas of things that have worked for me 
and practices that have been helpful. And you really, um, in the book, you really do come off as just like a guide, like someone who's a friendly presence with you, yeah. journeying with you through depression. And, you know, depression is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because sometimes when you're depressed, like I just admitted, I couldn't finish the book, right? It was, it was yeah. so real. And then other times, like right now, I'm in a kind of different depressive state. Like it's, it's very comforting. And so it's just fascinating. Um, I just like knowing your books are there for when I need them. And I know I can't be the only one um, that feels that way about hmm. them. Yeah. Thank you. It's, there's definitely different types of depression. Yeah. Yeah. It depends how much anxiety is mixed in there and a lot, of, a lot of different factors. It's so true. And I actually like talking about it in that way because um, this is just how my brain works. Like when I first read your book, I'm like, well, I'm not exactly like that. So I must not be depressed. And mm. it's just great to have more and more people talking about their experience. So all of us can be like, yeah, it's not a one, you know, it's not a one kind of thing. All of us can be experiencing these. Now- right. You like wrote the long night before COVID happened, obviously. Mm -hmm. This is just my perception, but it does seem like probably more people are depressed now Mm. um, than, or we're having to face it because so many of our coping mechanisms and so many of our things maybe we got our self-worth from or, or all of that has been stripped away, right, by almost two years of this pandemic. And so, yeah. uh, unfortunately, you know, your, your books are going <laughs> to just be needed for a really long time. And I know you're you're kind of working on a companion book to The Long Night. And, and we should say The Long Night is published through Broadleaf Books. Um, and so tell us about this companion book that's coming out in April. Yeah, so it's um, the first one was The Long Night and the second one is called Blessings for the Long Night. And so the first one was um, written in prose form. It's sort of like short essays. Um, and then Blessings is mostly poetry with a few short, like very short prose pieces thrown in there. So it's sort of getting the, like the idea of the first book was to make the chapters as short as possible. Cause when, like you said, when you're depressed, it's hard to read. And so this one is even more, even shorter pieces. And it's actually, I actually pitched, um, 365 days of peace to Broadleaf. That was my, um, first idea. And they said, we love it, but how would you feel about writing, um, more specifically for the audience of your first book for people with depression Mm. so then I kind of I said yeah that's a good idea so I did I self-published 365 days of peace but then I also took their input and you know wrote blessings for the long night specifically for those who are depressed or those who love someone with depression and want to Mm. understand better Mm -hmm. I just I just love it so much so I want to get into all that because to me that's like where I see your, your spiritual practices, but of course I want your own personal opinion on that. But before we do that, um, I just like to ask people, you know, how are you doing? How are you coming into this space today? Um, I can kind of see, is that like sunlight? Are you bathed in the light of the day? That looks nice. Yeah, it's very sunny here. And I, my office, I just moved a few months ago and my office has a lot of Southern windows so I have, I still haven't really optimized it for 
like visual, you know, Zoom calls and recordings, but it's nice. Yeah. I um I have a migraine today. Mm-hmm. It's not super bad, but it's, you know, I'd say 7 out of 10 on my own scale of how they get. So that's part of my own story of chronic illness is that I, you know, probably most days have some type some form of migraine and then, you know, sometimes it's barely noticeable, like just a little bit of dizziness and fatigue. And then sometimes it's just all out throbbing pain and I can't get out of bed. So um, yeah, that's the background that I bring besides, you know, depression and and some other chronic health issues that I struggle with. That's what I bring to my writing. So that's where I am today. Migrainy. And I, you know, had to wake up and sort of have coffee and gauge like should I email Danielle and say I can't do it or mm. is it going to be the kind of thing I can push through which is also you know the the kind of sort of micro decision that you have to make all the time when you live with chronic illness like what can I do today what can't I do what can I put off what can I push through wow well thank you so much just for sharing that and for being able to be here. I, I just feel really honored. Um, and that is a part of your story in your life that, um, again, with COVID, with everything happening, you know, more and more, I think we have to hear from people who experience chronic illness. Um, I'm not sure, would you call it like a disability? Like, is that, what's your preferred term? Yeah, I mean, technically, I meet the qualifications for disability. There's something called MIDAS, a migraine assessment test. And I always come out as severely disabled on that, Mm -hmm. which I think is, you know, it's true in the sense that my life would be pretty different if I didn't have such frequent migraines. Mm -hmm. But um, I am able to do a lot sort of around them and sometimes through them and so, it, yeah, technically, I think that is a my, chronic migraines are a disability. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I, I have so much to learn. Uh, terms like mental illness mm. uh, and disability and chronic illness, all of these, I, um, you know, have been really privileged not to have to think too hard about them, like, yeah. like many people. And then uh, one thing I've been really intrigued by listening to people who are sort of disability theologians is this idea that, you know, able-bodiedness is temporary for everybody. Hmm. Like we will all be disabled at some point in our life. And so why not listen to people who are disabled, right? When they right. tell you yeah. what they think when they read the Bible, what they think about God, what they think about our society and how it's set up for people who are not uh, able-bodied. And so I've just been really um, thinking about that. I told you uh, before we started recording, like I have a, a bit of cry face today because mm-hmm. I was crying less than an hour ago. And that's not like a super common experience for me. I am struggling with um, depression right now. I've had anxiety for a long time, but then eventually your body's like, well, you're going to have a stroke if you have this much anxiety. So we're going to just depress you, you know, just to calm you down. So that's kind of the cycle in my life. And this one is, is pretty bad. And it is, uh, you know, has to do with sort of, I have to 
realize my limitations, you know, in a way that I have just been able to push through before. So I'm on a journey of being like, I don't think I can do everything I used to do. And that's hard. And I bet other people like COVID has forced them to do that. Now you said you had a migraine. I'm going to be really honest and say I lied. And I told my kids school that I had a migraine today when really I was too anxious to uh, go in and have a meeting about my kids' anxiety. So mm. there's my mess of a life. Um, but my husband was able to go, and uh, that was fine. But oh, that's I good. was I was like I lied because I don't want to tell them I'm sick because then they think it was COVID. And right. I already tried. I already tried telling them I'm depressed. And people, like literally, the principal was like, "We'll get better." I was like, okay. Oh my gosh. I will. Thank you for that. <laughs> I never thought of that. That's Thank brilliant. You. Thank you. But I used to be very involved in the school. I ran English classes. I ran the PTA. And so they're all just like, why are you not tutoring kids to mm-hmm. read? Like, why are you not here? And I'm like, I don't know how to tell you. So that's, that's where I'm coming in today. And I, I just think, you know, I'm not sure that you are extremely yeah so you tell me I really sense some of this like disability theology in your writings mm-hmm. this and I think that just comes from your lived experience but how how much has that been a part of you as you as you write as you tweet and we should say the 365 days of peace correct me if I'm wrong but did you like tweet all of these benedictions out yeah. The world. Okay. I think I missed like 20 of them that I had to go back and write later, but oh, for the most part, okay. they were like every day for a year. Wow. And was that just like, so in my mind, that's a spiritual practice, but walk me through your, like what you were thinking as you wrote and published these every day. Yeah, it was definitely a spiritual practice for me at the time. It was also a huge commitment And so at the end of the year, I was like, glad to be done with it. But I do miss it because I would um, at the time, I think I was doing them at 830. So every evening at 830, that was the time. And, you know, the way that I would write them is by sort of like meditating first, Mm -hmm. not, you know, extensive meditation, but just taking a couple deep breaths and sort of looking inward and thinking about my day and what my internal landscape was like. And then I would take an element of what I saw inside of me and re- and speak peace over it. But mm. then also try to, you know, if I was thinking about how introverted I was, I would write, you know, peace to the introverts. But then I would also try to think of other, you know, who else, who else is there besides introverts? So I would also write, you know, peace to the extroverts. And so sort of try to draw, draw as many people in as possible to that very personal examination. I, I mean, it's just so beautiful. Um, would if if you have a copy of of this mm-hmm. book close by, would you mind reading uh, your entry for today? It's it's uh, for January twelfth. I just was like, it's really beautiful and really appropriate. I also sure. love how you start the book in winter time, <laughs> right? You oh don't, yeah, you don't exactly start in January first. You start in November, and I just am like, that's so great in the winter. In the bleak midwinter is is when um, the book starts, not January 1st. Yeah. Well, that's when I start um, having my experience of, you know, seasonal affective disorder. So really all of my books are November books, but I just happen to have gotten in the in the spring cohort for 
the long night and blessings for the long night so they were published in the spring but they oh, all kind of start, fascinating yeah but they all kind of start in in late fall and sort of like work through the winter and then come to the spring i think wow. it's, it's more pronounced in in blessings you can yeah. see the way that i've structured it yeah okay so if yeah. you if you could read for us january 12th that'd be great sure I, I often cry when I read my own poems. So. And you can say no <laughs> if you warning. don't want to. You no, know, it's okay. I'll read it, but I'm like, I want to hear it in your voice if you <laughs> yeah. want to. Peace to those who are so tired, whose backs hold more than backs were meant to, whose arms wrap around too many expectations, too many people who depend on you, whose spirits are heavy with hopelessness, Peace to the weary at the end of this long day. Peace and rest for the morning. I feel silly crying at my own words, but it's because I, I really wrote what I felt at the time, you know. And I think that's why it resonates with so many people. And what's fascinating is I read these in the morning because okay. at the end of the day, my brain is super fried mm -hmm. and... um. The sad thing about me and my um, anxiety, right? I'm, I'm depressed during the day. And at night, my body uh, is, is very anxious. So I have like ear pain and I have jaw pain and I have neck pain because I'm so clenched up while I'm sleeping. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I wake up like around 530 in the morning with like all the problems of the world on my mind. And so, so the night is not very restful for me. Um, I wake up just overwhelmed by sadness and so it's funny i read these poems and they help me um process the night i just had mm. um and they help prepare me for the day so i know that's not oh, how they're intended to be used but they give me a sense of peace and centering and calming um for my day so i just love mm. them i don't use them as you intended oh no <laughs> But that, I love it. No, that means a lot to me because I really wanted it to be available for how what people needed, you know. That's why I put um the the dates at the bottom of the page cuz I know some people don't like sort of the pressure of like oh no, I haven't read the devotional in in 5 days, I'm behind or whatever. So it's like the dates are there if you need them, but if you don't want to do it day by day that's fine too or you know if you that's so smart that totally actually worked on me because I um I do hate a daily devotional that I get behind on and that's not how I experience yeah. your, your book so. I don't want to stress anyone out <laughs> yeah and I and you know I don't know how you feel about this but um for for several years especially when I you would say you know I had pretty bad postpartum depression with both of my kids um and, and partly that was due to like I almost died in childbirth both times and you know just lots of like compounding traumas there I would get really into um the compline prayer because I grew up you know very low church protestant never used liturgy and when I found the compline prayer I was like there's a prayer for people who can't sleep in the middle of the night because they're mm. so sad yeah. like who knew like it rocked my world and I see like I see the compline prayer in in your poems that's like probably mm. the one that most comes to mind did you grow up with liturgy did you like experience prayer through liturgy growing up no not really well a little bit because we were we went to congregational churches when I was very young so I 
I probably got a little bit of that sort of in my system. But I actually learned about the daily prayers through a fiction book, through um, the book of the Dun Cow by Walter oh, Wanger and okay, Jr. Okay. So there's a, it's about animals. Um, so there's a rooster that's kind of like the figure of the priest. And he crows, the canonical crows, five times a day. And so, you know, in describing those crows, Walter Wanger and Jr. described the five prayers or you know there's sometimes five sometimes seven depending on the tradition but I read that when I was a kid and I was like oh the canonical crows and then you know at some point I was like oh wait but they're based on prayers <laughs> wow I did yeah. not know that about that book that's a that's yeah incredible. it's a really really sad book and it has two sequels that get progressively even more depressing. <laughs> well, maybe I will not read those right now, but yeah. um, at least now I'm intrigued about uh, the prayer thing. Yeah, but I love that part of the compline that's uh, keep watch, O Lord, with those who watch and weep. I, I probably can't say it by heart, but it's it's just like names, all the yeah. different struggles that were that some that a human being could be going through you know yeah and I know I I uh, was just reading into it when I first heard the complaint prayer but I was like oh, I believe in a god who works the overnight shift mm. I was just really helpful to me in a in a time where I was like I'm the only one that is awake and okay. sad and scared and um you know, I still think the idea of a God who works the night shift is is pretty powerful um, Yeah, to me personally. Yeah, I've had experience with really bad insomnia as a, as a depression symptom, and it is no fun. It's just like all these extra hours you have to deal with when, you you know, the daytime hours were already so hard. Yeah, and, and uh, one thing I love about you, is is Twitter your favorite social media platform? First, I want to ask you that, yeah. Probably, yeah. Okay, so on Twitter, I don't know how long you've been doing this, but every day you tweet something out, the same thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I think about it all the time. I tell it to my kids. Mm -hmm. And it's just been really powerful. And so every day you tweet out two sentences and one is, you are not alone. And then the other is, and this will not last forever. And I'd just love to know, to, again, to me, this is a spiritual practice that you're doing, both for yourself, and then it's turning into a ministry as well. And so I see you doing that with your writing, right? It's a spiritual practice that turns into something right. that's helpful to other people. Uh, so t tell me a little bit about how this ministry of yours came about, this ministry of two sentences. Yeah, so those two sentences were actually in my book proposal for The Long Night. They're not in the book itself, but the artist, Olga Gerlich, who did my cover design, they must have sent her the book proposal because they didn't have my full book yet. And she picked those books, those two sentences out and put them on the moon on the cover because the cover's like a night scene with stars and everything. And then there's a moon. So in the moon, it says, you are not alone, and this will not last forever. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote that, you know, to to my publisher to say, this is what I want people to take from this book, people struggling with depression, because I felt so alone when I was going through it, and I lost hope that it would ever end. And so I wanted, that's the main thing I wanted to communicate to other people, not that, you know, everything is going to be 
fine in the future that you'll be cured or, you know, life will be great, but something, something will shift enough, you know, to allow a little space in, um, to allow, allow change, allow a different perspective. So, yeah. So it was originally written about depression, but then I started tweeting it. I can't remember when, I guess near the beginning of the pandemic, I started tweeting it almost daily. And then people, I think, assume that I'm talking about the pandemic. <laughs> people sometimes fight with me on Twitter. Like I'm, <gasps> like I'm making a, a prophetic statement. Like, I know this is all going to end soon. And they're like, well, we don't know that. You know, it doesn't, evidence does not support that conclusion, <laughs> Jessica. But wow. I'll, yeah. Let me, let me at them. Let me, I'll fight them for you. <laughs> You're like, don't fight a poet. She's not talking right. about COVID-19. Exactly. But yeah. you're, talk, you're talking about, um, you know, our mental health, which mm-hmm. is greatly impacted about the pandemic. And, you know, the right. reason why that those two sentences have um, been so powerful for me and for a lot of other people is because this is what this is how our brains lie to us, right? Um, right. I see it in my yeah. own kid, my own kids who have their own mental health issues. It's like, yeah, their brains are always telling them you're alone, and this is never going to end. And so, again, it just it just makes me trust you. It makes me trust you as a guide on this journey because you have been through it. Mm-hmm. You know what our brains can tell us, and you know you've come out the other side, not in a self-helpy way because you're very much not a self-helpy writer but you're someone who has lived it and is here to be with us yeah yeah and you know i'm i came through that particular hard time but i'm in other hard Mm -hmm. times for different Mm -hmm. reasons Mm -hmm. now you know so it's not like hey everyone i'm going to show you how to (laughs) fix your life kind of thing but just like let's walk through this together and yeah a depression really has this way of making you feel like no one else is as messed up as you Mm. no one else has like ever been through this or felt this way so I think we really need to like as much as depression is pounding those messages into our brains we need to pound the true truth of the matter which is that we all we all struggle we all you know no matter how dark or twisty our thoughts or thought processes other people have have felt that and are feeling that yeah I was just thinking yesterday about this is based off of a TikTok I saw which I really struggle with this idea of if I'm not doing okay then I'm a huge burden on everyone around me and so Mm -hmm. that's a lot of my drive to just like hurry up and get healthy so like probably a lot of my uh spiritual practices or my coping mechanisms it's all with this end goal of like just get back to being a good normal person who doesn't need anything for anybody and who can help people. And I saw this TikTok about like somebody saying like, they feel like there's such a burden on everybody. And I was like, yeah, everybody feels that way. <laughs> like everybody feels mm-hmm. like they're a horrific burden, you know, when right. they're being honest about their pain or whatever's going on. And then all of a sudden I was like, have I literally ever felt like somebody was a horrible burden on me mm. when, they sh- when they shared their yeah. pain? Like, I have never once felt like that person was a burden. Right. So why do I 
think I am such a burden on other. It was just this very like as I'm saying it, I'm like, yeah, an eight year old knows this, Danielle, but I yeah. didn't know it. And yeah, just having that realization was very powerful for me and just saying, oh, my brain is lying to me. Like, right. My brain is lying. And um, don't yeah. beat yourself up about that because that doesn't help. But just acknowledge that that's not true. And that's yeah. not how everybody experiences the world. Right. And you may you may have needs that a certain other person can't meet. But that doesn't mean that your needs are invalid. And that doesn't right. mean that there's anything wrong with that person. It exactly. just means, you know, we were we were meant to be in community. We were meant to have a lot of different people we could reach out to. And we were also all meant and do have different gifts and different things that we can offer. So if you're if you, even if people are telling you either overtly or, you know, subtly that you're a burden to them, that doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It just means, you know, you're you're trying to reach the wrong people with the wrong request for resources. You yeah. need to expand to the to different to you know, different resources, which is, you know, easier said than done. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of us are at, right? Is acknowledging after almost two years of this pandemic, like just the normal community whatever, you know, I feel like I worked so hard in my life to create like a healthy community in my neighborhood. And it's just been decimated, right? Because mm-hmm. of a freaking, you know, pandemic that is deadly. And yeah. that by hanging out with your neighbors, you can spread it. That just sucks mm-hmm. so bad, right? Um, so for you personally, I'm just curious, uh, beyond like writing, beyond the poems, um, are is there any... Sp- Thing you would call a spiritual practice that you're doing right now just you know almost two years into this um having migraines daily I, I just be curious it is I mean again feel free to say no because that is also a, a reality for so many people yeah well I think what so when I went through the major depressive episode that I wrote about in the long night it was also a, a time of a faith shift for me you know um I had been, if not by my nature, but just by where I placed myself, I had been very evangelical. I went to an evangelical seminary. I was working for an evangelical organization and living in an um, intentional community in Boston that was um, not officially evangelical, but most of the people there were. And so, and I had, up until that point, I had a really strong um, prayer practice of that of like a a morning time actually it started in the evening and then shifted into the morning when I started drinking coffee (laughs) but I would I would write in my journal I would read my bible almost every day I would pray you know I had an active conversational kind of prayer going on a lot of the time and then when this depressive episode hit and the faith shift hit it felt like all of that just disappeared like the I I couldn't write. I couldn't pray. I, reading the Bible felt like tasting something bitter almost or like trying mm. to put sand in my mouth. And so that was like the most devastating part of it is like what happened to this connection with God. Mm. And so my housemate um, introduced me to Centering Prayer. And I started reading about Centering Prayer, which is basically just, uh, this is an oversimplification of it, but it's basically just sitting quietly in God's presence. And that was such a relief to me to 
to be able to just sit quietly and not have to try to make prayer happen, but just to sort of like envision that prayer was already happening. Mm. And if I was, if I was quiet enough and, you know, sat for long enough, I could sort of gently dip into that place where prayer was already happening. So that became a really important prayer practice for me. And then when I, um, I went to see someone for my migraines and they, they taught me, I'm going to forget the term now. Oh, biofeedback. They taught me biofeedback for my migraines. And it turned out to be basically centering prayer with the um, religious aspect, obviously not in it, but they would hook you up to all these machines to measure, you know, your sweat, your heart rate, all these different things. And then you would meditate in the in that same way just sit quietly sometimes you can use a prayer word or a meditation word um, to get you into that calm place and then you and then they would bring you like the readout of your body after you'd done that and you could see like your heart rate slowed you know your you I forget all of the markers but it really was remarkable so yeah that was my prayer practice for a while and that is still sort of what I consider my my practice, but I, I've had that, a type of nervous energy of anxiety, I guess, since the pandemic started, that makes it really hard for me to sit still long enough to do that. So I've tried to sort of adapt into like micro prayer or Mm -hmm. micro, micro meditation, where just like, I try to a couple times a day, just sort of like pause for a moment and take a deep breath. Or like pause for a moment and look out the window and watch the clouds or the birds or something. And I can't do it for the full, you know, you're supposed to do 20 minutes twice a day or something. I can't, I can't do nearly that much anymore, but it's sort of on my like aspirational, you know, list. Like I would like to get back to it because I think it, it was really helpful for me when I was doing it. I mean, 20 minutes is so long. Yeah. I mean, I have tried to do center prayer. I have never, well, maybe like one or two times have found it helpful because I think of the, I think the anxiety piece and the mm-hmm. uh, evangelical do-gooder, uh, you know, prayer style comes up to haunt me and just, right. I, I need to have a word from God if I'm going to be quiet for 20 minutes. Mm. It's like, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if God's going to talk to me, but um, I did see an interesting crow. And this crow was like eating mushrooms and I didn't know that was a thing. And I was like, am I in a fairy world? Do crows always eat mushrooms? Can this crow (laughs) be my friend? No, this crow won't be my friend because this crow knows I have two cats. So this crow hates me. Like I'm sure of it. So then I'm off on this like weird little bizarro meditation about nature, but it turns out to be good. Like that's kind of where I'm at these days. Right. Yeah. I can't quiet myself for 20 minutes, but I can try and take a deep breath, look at nature, look outside, be delighted by something weird. And that's enough, you know, that's, that's enough for now. But I, I wonder if people listening to this also kind of resonate with, um, there's this expectation that people who meditate or, or who do uh, centering prayer are extra spiritual. Mm. Um, and I think you're just being really honest and saying like, sometimes it works and sometimes you just micro micro dose it. Let's call right. it micro dosing. Speaking um, of mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what the crow was doing. Yeah. It's like micro dose, Danielle, micro dose. 
There we go. There. I see. I just, I just love that. I will also say, as you were talking about centering prayer, I did try for a while during the early days of the pandemic. There was this like guided contemplation thing over Zoom with nuns, nuns teaching people how to do centering prayer. Oh. And I had the most intense experience of trying to do it. And everybody's face like is on the Zoom screen. So there's tons of little, little faces, mostly people with gray hair and white hair. And it's just to like, almost like a mirroring thing, you know, you, you do it with people, but of course, you know, you have your eyes closed or you are mm -hmm. actually supposed to be looking at everybody on the screen. You just know that in 20 minutes, a timer will go off. And, and I was terrified to let my face like fall to its natural default position. I was oh. terrified to let strangers, nuns, see what my face would look like when I relaxed to try to do guided oh, meditation because I was like, they'll see how sad I am if I fully relax into this moment. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized I was pretty terrified of people knowing you know, the level of, of pain I was in. And um, yeah. it, it was just a fascinating experience. I, I wasn't good at it, but I did learn a little bit mm -hmm. <laughs> about myself through, through that one experience. Yeah, there you go. Well, I forget his name. It starts with a P-E. No, I can't remember his name. But one of the people who developed centering prayer or the modern form of centering prayer has a quote that I really like that says the only way you can fail in prayer is to not show up. So even if you never get to like a place where you feel like, Ooh, I'm meditating or, you know, even if you feel like you did it wrong, you showed up. So that's, that counts, you know? Yeah. Crispin, you know, my husband is really helpful to me because he's just like, the most important thing is to be honest. Otherwise mm -hmm. that's not prayer. That's a performance. And you know, for those of us who maybe grew up where the performance aspect was pretty important, you know, mm. it's we have to learn ways to be honest <laughs> with God about our doubts and pain and all of that. And yeah. it's, it's such a helpful spiritual practice to be honest with God, you know, and I think that is such a hallmark of what you do in your writing and your poetry is you're so honest about your own experience, but then you are also trying to make space for other people. Um, and what a cool, what a cool spiritual practice that is. Cause so, so often they get a little navel gazy to me, right? Very personal. And I'm like, what you're doing, you're also thinking about other people. You're thinking about, yeah, I'm an introvert, but I know there's extroverts out there. You know, what's a blessing for them. I just think that's so powerful. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's like, I think one of the biggest lessons that I had to unlearn in my own life, I, I don't mean to bring up the Enneagram all the time, but I'm an Enneagram four, <laughs> which was a really helpful way for me to understand certain aspects of myself. And one of those is that I, I think I'm special, but like in a good way and a bad way. And the, and those two are tied together. So I'm, I, I feel like I have to be, you know, more creative, more interesting than other people. But I also feel like there's there's like this dark part of me or like this bad part of me that I'm really that's you know really wrong or bad mm. somehow like I'm uniquely <laughs> messed up and so it has been really a really important part of my own healing process 
to connect with like my common humanity with everyone else. You know, like the quote, like I'm human and nothing human is alien to me. Was that Mm -hmm. Tertullian that said that? So that feeling of like, okay, what are these dark parts? I don't like saying dark. What are these, what are these like bad parts of me that I think are, are shameful? And, you know, what if I spoke that out loud? Like, what if I, I brought it out and said, this is something about me, and then it wouldn't be shameful anymore. And then uh, uh, other people who were feeling like, oh, I have the shameful thing about me could also be set free <laughs> from that, you know? Yeah. I, I love that you brought up the Enneagram because actually in the Faith and Justice program, um, uh, at least when I did it, there was like a whole section on the Enneagram. And at first I was like, what is this about? But I think that Enneagram can be helpful as a spiritual practice tool because just exactly what you said, it helped me realize, oh my gosh, not everyone in the world views the world the way I do. Mm. Right. And yet I'm not the only one. There's a lot of people like me, but we're just like one type out of nine, you know? And so it really helped me to reframe like, okay, I am different, but I'm not that different. And that was such such a helpful and freeing thing. And to be for me to be able to accept other people for being different from me, which I struggle with sometimes. So yeah, it was, it's actually a super helpful spiritual practice, um, I think. Yeah, I found it too, to be too. And I think there there's some people now doing some really um, good work trying to sort of separate it from the white supremacist con. Um, yes, yes. Context. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, it has been mainly white people writing and talking about the Enneagram for the last few decades. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree. So I, I just love everything you're doing, Jessica. You've been so helpful to me. And I know um, people listening, uh, there's going to be some people listening who are experiencing anxiety, who are experiencing depression, who have chronic illness. And, um, you know, I, I highly encourage everybody to follow follow Jessica Kantrowitz on Twitter, um, follow her on Instagram. You can buy the 365 Days of Peace book and a journal through your website. And then you can get the Long Night book and then the uh, Blessings for the Long Night coming out in April through Broadleaf books is there anything else yes. you want to say where people can find you uh no that's all i'm i'm most active on twitter so if you want a lot of me find me on twitter if you want a medium amount of me you can find me on instagram <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way of putting it you make twitter <laughs> a better place let me just tell you because oh, i you. can't be on twitter very much right now as my own, for my own mental health um but when i do pop on i really like to see you there well, thank you so much for, for having me. It's been delightful to talk to you in person. It has been delightful. And I pray that the rest of your day um, is as pain-free as possible and that, yeah, your thank head doesn't you. hurt. Yeah. And I hope you don't have to cry too much more today <laughs> or, or do if it's helpful to you. <laughs> I would prefer the not, but we'll, yeah. we'll see how that goes. But thank you so much, Jessica. Yeah. Bye.